Welcome, everyone, to another debate from Intelligence Squared U.S. I'm John Donvan of ABC News, and once again, it's my honor to serve as moderator as the four debaters you see sharing the stage with me here at the Skirball Center for the Performing Arts at New York University. Four debaters, two at each table, are debating this motion, the U.S. should step back from its special relationship with Israel. And I want to point out this is a debate. It's not a panel discussion. It is not a seminar. This is a debate. It's a contest with winners and losers. And you in our audience have the special role of choosing our winners. You are the judges in this debate. And by the time the evening has ended, you will have voted twice on whether you agree or disagree with the motion, especially after what you've heard. And the team that has changed the most minds will be declared our winner. On to round one, then. Let the debate begin. Our first debater for the motion, the U.S., should step back from its special relationship with Israel is Roger Cohen. Roger is a uh, former foreign editor of the New York Times, a journalist who has traveled the world, who has uh, himself the interesting story. Uh, you, you are Cohen because when your dad left South Africa and moved to the UK, he was advised that it would be a good idea to change his name from Cohen. And his answer was? His answer was, he suggested maybe uh, Einstein, and uh, he stuck with Cohen. And it worked. That's why we tonight have Roger Cohen arguing for the motion the U.S. should step back from its special relationship with Israel. Measured by any standard, American policy toward Israel has failed over the past couple of decades. Israelis and Palestinians today stand further apart than ever. They are estranged. They are mistrustful. They're antagonistic. They can scarcely even imagine peace. We will therefore submit to you tonight that rather than burrowing deeper into failure and so jeopardizing American interests, the United States should reconsider its ties with Israel. It should step back from its special relationship in favor of a normal relationship. What makes America's relationship with Israel special is its uncritical nature, even when U.S. interests are being hurt. What also makes the relationship special is the incredible largesse that the United States shows towards Israel. Over the past decade, $28.9 billion in economic aid. And on top of that, another $30 billion in military aid. That's almost $60 billion. Now, I ask you, to what end is this money being used? Ladies and gentlemen, we would submit that to ends often inimical to the American interest. Take the, emer take the ongoing Israeli settlement program in the West Bank. At a cost of about $100 billion, this enterprise has grown the number of settlers in the West Bank from about 140,000 in 1996 to about 300,000 today. Money has poured into a repressive apparatus involving settler-only highways, reserved military areas, a separation or security barrier, the Israelis call it separation wall, hated separation wall, the Palestinians call it, a barrier that burrows into the West Bank and annexes 10% of the land. What's the result of this? Well, the result is an isolated, fragmented, humiliated Palestinian presence that simply makes a nonsense, a farce, of the notion of two states for two peoples. Uh, this is a primer in colonialism, much more than it resembles a nascent Palestinian state. Yet two states for two peoples is the declared U.S. objective. In effect, the United States is bankrolling the very Israeli policies 
that are dashing its own aims and the hopes of Oslo by making two states almost unimaginable. Does this make sense? I don't think so. And if you don't think so, ladies and gentlemen, you should vote for the proposition tonight. Now, America's perceived complicity in Israeli violence carries a heavy price. Jihadi terrorism aimed at the United States is not primarily motivated, perhaps, by the Palestinian issue, but it is a major factor. Ladies and gentlemen, there's also a moral issue here. I am a Jew. I know that Israel at its foundation in its Declaration of Independence said it would, quote, ensure complete equality of social and political rights to all its inhabitants, irrespective of religion, race, and sex. We Jews know in our bones what persecution is. Alas, and this is hard to say, Israel has, in my view, lost touch with these fundamental values. And if President Obama is serious about reaching out to the Muslim world, America must appear much more as an honest broker and less as Israel's spokesman. And that requires a serious rebalancing. Thank you. Thank you, Roger Cohen. Our motion is the U.S. should step back from its special relationship with Israel and arguing first against the motion, Stuart Eisenstadt, who has been a former ambassador to the uh, European Union, but his career in government service is astounding when you go through his uh, his resume, he has had undersecretary positions in commerce, in treasury, in the State Department. You didn't get agriculture? Not a farmer. Ladies and gentlemen, Stuart Eisenstadt. Thank you, John. I couldn't disagree more with Roger Cohen and strongly oppose the notion that the United States should somehow stand back from its special relationship with Israel. And I do so for the following reasons. First, if the United States would do so, it would betray the very principles upon which U.S. foreign policy is based. Our foreign policy since our founding fathers has never been devoid of morality. Indeed, morality is a central feature of our policy. As the first country to recognize Israel in 1947 after the Holocaust as a refuge for Jews, we would be betraying those principles were we to step back from the special relationship we've developed over 62 years. Second, it would mean abandoning the only democratic, loyal, reliable ally in the region, which shares American values of democracy rights for women, judicial independence, freedom of speech, and forming a 21st century culture. If we were to withdraw that special relationship, it would be a sign of American inconstancy and weakness. What message would it send to other allies? Would they think they were going to be next? And indeed, to do so would only lead to more demands from those in the region. In addition, The whole notion of this motion misunderstands the major issues facing the United States and the region, and I have spent an enormous amount of time and energy in that region in multiple capacities. Issues that we have with Iraq and Afghanistan, Pakistan and Iran, terrorist groups like al-Qaeda are unrelated to our special relationship with Israel. It's also a specious argument that somehow there's a zero-sum game that the kind of outreach that President Obama properly is providing to the Muslim world is somehow inconsistent with a special relationship with Israel. And let me tell you from personal knowledge, there is no 
such zero-sum game. We can and do have both. And I've seen it happen at Camp David under President Carter. All of Sinai given back. I've seen it happen with Jordan and the peace agreement with Jordan. Roger says there's been no peace. I mean, I don't know where you've been. How about the Egyptian peace, which has lasted now for over 30 years? And those concessions continued. And let me close with this thought. When you say, why don't we have peace with the Palestinians? If there were a Martin Luther King, if there were a Mahatma Gandhi leading the Palestinian movement, they would have had statehood long, long, long ago. It is because there is no reliable Palestinian partner. It is because of the Hamas Fatah problem. It is because when the Israeli public sees a withdrawal from Lebanon or a withdrawal on their own from Gaza, instead of reconciliation, they get rockets in response. That's why we don't have peace, not because uh, Israel doesn't want peace. Thank you. I'd like to introduce Rashid Khalidi, who is a professor at Columbia University, a former advisor to the Palestinian delegation for the Arab-Israeli peace negotiations. He was in Beirut during the Israeli bombing, bombing in 1982. New York-born, comes from a uh, storied Jerusalem family who's bequeathed to the city of Jerusalem one of the world's leading libraries of Islamic literature, started by your grandfather, I believe. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, Rashid Khalidi. Now, I would be the last person as a Middle East historian to suggest that all the problems of the Middle East are caused by the U.S. special relationship with Israel. They're not. But some problems are caused by this special relationship. Let me just list a couple of them. One of them is that there is, as a result, in large measure, of our special relationship with Israel, an almost total deafness to public opinion in Palestine and in the Arab world. We hear the same kind of mantra about there's no democracy, there's no public sector. There are all kinds of things going on in public opinion in the Arab world. And one of the things that's going on is a deep distrust and unease with U.S. policy over this issue in particular. A second thing that has to be said is that there is a suspicion in public opinion in particular all over the Arab world of the fact that the United States in the Middle East, because of this special relationship, is not and cannot be an honest broker. And let me say something about United States reliability. Let me say something about what the United States looks like after 20 years when American presidents, since President Carter, have said not just that they were going to make peace with Egypt, which they did, but that they were going to make peace between the Palestinians and the Israelis. We have systematically failed in this effort, 30 years in fact, The situation is infinitely worse today than when uh, Ambassador Rabinovich and I went to Madrid in October of 1991. It's worse for the Palestinians. It's worse for the position of the United States in the Arab world. If you care not what autocratic governments think, but what the people think about us. And this brings me to the main reason you should vote for this proposition. Because the United States should be true to its principles. It should be fair. It should be equitable. It should be just. Uh, We hear a great deal about security whenever Israel is talked about. We have to be concerned with Israel's security. We have to be concerned with the security of everybody in this region if we are going to be an honest broker, if some people are not of a higher importance to us than other people. What about the security of Palestinians? In the, in the recent war in Gaza, it wasn't really a war. It was a one-sided uh, uh, affair. There were 1,400 people killed on one side and 14 on the other side. If we're concerned with human security, we should be concerned with numbers like this. I would argue that our policy should be linked not solely to what the stronger party, by far the stronger party, in this relationship wants. 
That is no way to make peace. The United States has to pull away from the special relationship with Israel if it is to play any kind of effective role in making peace. If you vote against this proposition, I would argue you are voting for the status quo. You are voting for more of the same. You are voting for a peace process that has delivered a lot of process and no peace. Thank you very much. I'm John Donvan, correspondent for ABC News and host and moderator of Intelligence Squared U.S. The motion is the U.S. should step back from its special relationship with Israel. Stay with us. Here's where we are. We are halfway through the opening round of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan of ABC News, serving as moderator. We have two teams of two fighting it out over this motion. The U.S. should step back from its special relationship with Israel. Itamar Rabinovich is a former uh, Israeli ambassador to the United States. He was on the White House lawn when Yitzhak Rabin and Yasser Arafat shook hands. He has seen what he felt uh, on several occasions, Peace Come Near, his book On the Brink, The Brink of Peace, was about his involvement in negotiations with the Syrians. Ladies and gentlemen, Itabar Rabinovich. What does special relationship mean? It does not mean that the tail is walking the dog. It is a mutual relationship. I was an ambassador to Washington for nearly four years. I was a peace negotiator that worked very closely with the United States peace team. And I know how many disagreements we have had over the years with our American colleagues how many times pressure was brought to bear on Israeli decision makers. Even presidents who were considered very friendly, Bill Clinton was considered a great friend of Israel. He was a close friend of Yitzhak Rabin. He admired Rabin, but I've seen them argue fiercely. And I've seen Rabin yield to Clinton because he was the president of the United States, the senior partner in this special relationship. It's a very close military and strategic alliance, defined, among other things, by the fact that Israel does not want American troops to be stationed in Israel. And not having to station troops in Israel or in that part of the Middle East because Israel is there is a huge advantage. Because look at the other side of the Middle East, an important part of the Middle East, the Persian Gulf, Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Iran. You have troops there. You have many American troops at a huge cost in Iraq. You have troops in Afghanistan. In Israel or in near Israel, you don't need to station U.S. troops. And this relationship serves you in an area in which many, many American interests are focused. Now, the argument of our opponents in this debate is that uh, support to Israel undermines uh, American position in Arab public opinion and uh, reinforces uh, Arab and Muslim tendency uh, to terrorism against the United States. Wrong. What the Arabs resent most, as I said, is American military presence, American support for dictatorial regimes. Another complaint that I have against uh, our opponents in this, is this debate. First of all, too much was focused on the Palestinian issue. It's a very important issue. It's important first and foremost for us. I'm one of those Israelis who desperately believe and fight for having a two-state solution. I think it's dangerous for Israel to keep the status quo. Now, there are people in Israel who think otherwise, and politically we disagree. But the Palestinian problem is not the only one. Finally, much of what you heard from our opponents earlier this evening was actually in the frame of the Bush years. We are not in the Bush years anymore. For a year, there's been another administration in Washington. And actually, what we have seen was the President Obama who listened to such advice and began by taking some distance from Israel. 
He went to Cairo. He gave the, the speech to the Muslim world. He didn't go to, to Israel. What is the result? The result is the current impasse. It was a mistake to take even one step because the voices that he heard from the Arab world was you took one step, go all the way. So the policy should be stay with the special relationship with Israel and together with Israel use it in order to make peace with the Middle East, including with the Palestinians. And, uh, and that concludes round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate where the motion being argued is the U.S. should step back from its special relationship with Israel. And we now have the results of our live audience vote. We asked you before the debate began where you stood on our motion. The U.S. should step back from its special relationship with Israel. Before the debate began, here's where it stood. 33% of you were for the motion, 42% against, and 25% were undecided. Now on to round two, and in round two, the debaters can address one another directly. I will ask some questions of them. But where, where I want to begin this, uh, I want to go to the side that is arguing against the motion, which argued in part, particularly Stuart Eisenstadt, who served in so many administrations uh, and was involved in this region, argued that turning away from Israel at this point would be an immoral act because Israel has been such a, a loyal ally for so long. And I want to put to that side, to either gentleman, what would actually happen to Israel if the U.S. created more distance? Well, what would happen is that the United States would lose the levers and influence it has to encourage Israel to make the concessions that it has made. It's inconceivable, for example, that Israel would have given up all the Sinai at Camp David I with President Carter to Egypt if it didn't know that the United States was solidly and affirmatively in its corner. Uh, and the same is true with respect to other concessions that uh, Israel has made. So the interests are not just values. They are profound U.S. national security interests. But again, the direct answer to your question is it would send a signal to Israel of inconstancy. Israel would be less likely to make concessions. But, would, but it would, would say the same to our other allies. What would it say? But would it be harmful for Israel is what I'm it asking. It would be very harmful Why? to Israel because Israel would be completely alone. Where else does it have a very close relationship? To whom else would it turn? I mean, in the 1967 war, at the maximum time of their danger, right, when the state was almost eliminated by all the Arab countries, their prime arms supplier was not the United States of America. It was France. And in the midst of the war, that arms shipments were totally cut off. So Israel has nowhere else to turn as a major ally other than the United States. It would be much more intractable in terms of the peace process and I think it would be a terrible thing both for Israel and for the United States. To the other side, is it an act of betrayal to put No, it's not an act of betrayal. Roger Cohen. Uh, with respect to, nobody is arguing for a divorce here. Nobody is arguing that Israel should cease being an ally of the United States. Uh, we are simply arguing that when President Obama says that he wants settlements to stop and settlements continue and Prime Minister Netanyahu declares that some settlements are Israel's for all eternity – that there should be consequences. And I believe that if the United States were firmer, then Israel would measure its actions much more carefully. And there would be more chance of getting a resumption of uh, Israeli-Palestinian talks, which are currently paralyzed. Israel, if it thinks it can act with complete impunity, is not going to be responsive to U.S. desires. Itamar Rabinovich, former U.S. Roger, Ambassador. Roger, if I may just quickly intervene. Stuart, let me, let me go to Itamar. He's looking to speak. 
Briefly, I'd like to say, of course, uh, it, it would not be good for Israel if the U.S. walked away from the special relationship. There would be both a substantive and a perception issue of weakening Israel. Israel would go to the right, maybe to, to the radical right. Further? But my, my point is, what is going to happen to the United States? Now, let me read one sentence from the most unlikely source. Seymour Hirsch, discussion with Bashar al-Assad, the president of Syria, says, Now, the problem is that the United States is weaker, and the whole world, influential world is weak as well. You always need power to do politics. Now, nobody is doing politics. So what you need is a strong United States with good politics, not weaker United States. It's not going to be good for U.S. policy. Rashid Khalidi. I think this is, like, this is like telling us when you're in a deep hole, the thing to do is dip, dig deeper. I mean, we have enabled we have enabled the worst instincts of Israeli politics. Leave aside American interests. We're all Americans. That should be the only thing that matters to us. Israeli interests. Why is occupation and settlement in the Israeli interest? Ambassador Rabinovich is an, oppos- is an opponent of these things. Most right-thinking Israelis that most of us know are. But Israeli politics is moving in exactly the opposite direction. What we are doing is enabling these tendencies. And let me say one other thing about constancy. When we are doing something that everybody in the world thinks is dumb, the idea of staying the course does not make us look constant. It makes us look dumb. And, and, and our allies, we were, we, were asked, we were asked rhetorically by one of my opponents, if the United States moved away from the special relationship, what would happen with some of our allies? They would applaud. They see the United States as systematically weakening itself by this perverse special relationship. Stuart Eisenstein, what about that very point, that our allies would actually applaud uh, a readjustment in no, the U.S. Two, relationship? Two things. First of all, when Roger says he's not calling for a divorce, okay, Sometimes it's difficult for spouses and countries to tell the difference between a separation and a divorce. The implications can be the same. And second, second, I was ambassador to the European Union. I can tell you that it would send a chill down the spine of every ally we have in Europe and around the world if this relationship were abandoned because they would say, well, are we next on the chopping block? It would be a terrible sign of inconstancy. What the world wants is a strong, constant United States that stands behind its principles, that stands behind its values, and stands behind its allies. If, if I may. Yeah, uh, Roger Cohen. With respect, I've also spent a lot of time in the European Union, not as an ambassador. And my perception of European publics and European governments is that many are bewildered by the extent and degree of U.S. support for Israel and would applaud some modification of that relationship. The, um, the side arguing for the motion said that, uh, made a rather cogent argument, quite logical, that the, the U.S. Uh, relationship with Israel raises the question of whether the United States can be an honest broker. What, take, take that on either side against the motion, please. Every moderate Arab country knows that only the United States can talk to both sides. It is the only honest broker. It's only the United States, the secretaries of state, the president, who are the active ingredients in the peace process. The Arab states know that. The Europeans know that. And so we are accepted as the honest broker. And again, I think that Itamar is right. You're retreading Bush. We've got a different president who's reached out to the Muslim world and who said in Cairo, we want to have stronger relationships 
with the Muslim world. Yes, we want to have a two-state solution, but yes, we stand firmly behind the state of Israel as a Jewish state. That's being an honest broker, and that's what's accepted on all sides. Does the other side agree that President Obama is changing the game? Uh, I'd actually like to say something about this honest broker thing. I don't think the United States is anything uh, in any way an honest broker. The United States is quite frequently the only broker because the United States hogs the stage. And I think this is actually a problem. Uh, We have seen more constructive diplomacy in the Middle East from Qatar and Turkey, uh, incidentally an important democratic ally, a country with a public sphere, a major ally over decades going back to the launching of NATO. The only democracy in the Middle East is not Israel. Uh, And... We've seen more constructive uh, diplomacy from those two countries than we've seen from the United States over the past several years as far as brokering uh, a peace. Do you see President Obama changing the game? I I think the president's problem at the moment is that he's gone a long way in words. But when it comes to actions and people are looking at actions, I think the Palestinians tend to see more of the same. And, and that is the issue here. Can we be imaginative? Can we think outside of the box? Look, when the Oslo Accords came in the 1990s, the PLO Charter still existed. It existed until 1996 in its original form, calling for the annihilation of Israel. Now, did this stop the imaginative negotiators in the 1990s from moving that process forward. Oslo was 1993. This was done while the charter still existed. The Hamas charter calling to annihilation of Israel is vile. It is unacceptable. But can we think outside the box about these things? Can we think and act in different ways that might advance peace? I think so far the the verdict on the Obama administration and on what uh, Mr. Mitchell has been trying to achieve is no. Peter Mark, your response. Roger, when you say, think out of the box about the Hamas charter, which is not an anti-Israeli, an anti-Semitic document, speaking about the protocols of Zion, I don't know how to think outside the box about that. I would rather be in the box. So, Roger Cohen. So, so was the charter of the PLO. It got changed. And how did it get changed? It got changed through negotiation. Can you respond to that, Itamar? Yes. You, ne- you, can, you can negotiate with a secular nationalist movement like the, the Fatah. Uh, Hamas is a radical, religious, fundamentalist organization, and you cannot negotiate with people who have these strong religious convictions. Itamar, Israel, with Israel is negotiating people. with them. Israel is negotiating a prisoner release with, with Hamas right now. Israel negotiates with Hamas all the time. In fact, it suits Israel perfectly, perfectly to have Hamas and Fatah divided and to have nobody to talk to. Gentleman with uh, eyeglasses and sweater. My question is very specifically about U.S. interests and U.S. security. How would a change in this relationship affect U.S. security interests, specifically the jihadi elements who are working against the U.S.? How would that relationship improve their view of the U.S. or be a detriment okay. to the U.S. fight so, against terrorism? So Stuart Eisenstein was talking about the impact on our allies. You're asking about the impact on our relations with our foes. Which side would like to take that? Well, I think Roger if you Cohen. can advance uh, a Middle East peace, uh, clearly uh, you are going to withdraw, remove a very powerful uh, recruitment tool uh, for the jihadis. They, if you look at Osama bin Laden's speeches going back a very long way, if you look in the 9-11 report at what Khalid Sheikh Mohammed said, the, the mastermind of 9-11 about how uh, policy toward the Palestinians was really what drove him toward the thing. It wasn't his stay in the United States. It was what he observed 
of U.S.-Israeli policy toward the Palestinians. So if you can appear more as an honest broker, if you can move this paralyzed process in some way, uh, then I think uh, you could advance U.S. security uh, in that respect. Tamar Rabinovich. Two issues. One, uh, the terrorism. Support for Israel increases terrorism. You, you are all New Yorkers, you live in New York, open the magazine last week, very interesting story about a young man from Alabama, Omar Hamami, who grew up in a small town in Alabama and is now fighting with Al-Qaeda in Somalia. The word Israel does not appear once. He became a terrorist not because of Israel, but because of other reasons. Right down in the seat of, the seat of gentlemen. Is it the anti-Semitism of United Nations which Israel and America always complains about, that there are 50 and odd resolutions requesting Israel to vacate the occupied land. Israel and America look the other way. But whereas, when it comes to Iraq war, Bush presidency on one resolution went for an illegal war. Why are these resolutions not implemented, uh, which are asking Israel to vacate the occupied land? You're asking if the U.S. has a double standard on U.N. resolutions? The U.S. has a double standard. Stuart Israel Eisenstein. has a double standard. Thank you. Thank you. Stuart Eisenstein. The U.N. Human Rights Commission has developed resolutions over the last decade and a half, two-thirds of which are directed at Israel, not at Iran, not at Iraq, not at all the human rights violations that occur around the world. This is grossly disproportionate. Number two, with respect to general resolutions, let's go back to the first resolution of the United Nations, which was to create a two-state solution. And Ben-Gurion accepted a sliver of territory. Sliver, 55%. And it was rejected by the Arabs. And that rejection has continued with the exception of Egypt and Jordan from 1947 to 2010. And Rashid Khalidi. Yeah. Um, as someone whose father worked for the United Nations, uh, I, I'm going to defend this institution. It does not behoove those who... Uh, are, are friends of Israel, to bash the United Nations. The birth certificate of Israel is delivered by the United Nations in the form of the resolution that Ambassador Eisenstadt ma- ma- mentioned, the, the partition resolution of 1947. Now, that did not give a sliver of Palestine. It gave 33% of the population that owned 6% of the land, 55% of the country, some sliver. Let me say a couple of other things. I cannot let some of these things pass simply as a historian. We are told... We are told that the Arab countries have been rejecting everything since 2010. A majority of Arab countries came to the Madrid Peace Conference. Ambassador Rabinovich and I saw them there. Now, what kind of rejection is it when they come to a peace conference? They all voted in favor of an Arab peace resolution in, in, in Beirut and, and one before that, way back in 2002. This is not rejectionism. We were told that in 1967 Israel was almost eliminated. If you go to the U.S. government documents and you go to the extraordinarily ample Israeli documentation, you will see that not one Israeli military intelligence or American military intelligence report thought that there was any chance of Israel being defeated, let alone eliminated, in the 1967 war. I know people here believed that was a possibility. I know that many people in Israel feared it. But that was not a possibility at the time. I'm John Donvan, and you're listening to Intelligence Squared U.S., Oxford-style debating on American shores. We are in the question and answer section of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan of ABC News. 
Uh, as acting as moderator, we have four debaters, two teams of two debating this motion. The U.S. should step back from its special relationship with Israel. Gentlemen, standing now with gray suit, red tie. Question, Thank please. you. Uh, my name is John Gurkoff. Um, among other things, uh, I'm affiliated with Tel Aviv University. A question I have is, all the attention tonight has been against Israel or, or for Israel or, or against the United States or for the United States. The Palestinians have to start taking some responsibility for what's going on. Uh, and the question I have is, what have they done over the last 40 years? And what can, do you think they should be doing or can be doing to instill the, the confidence that you, you two have that, they, that the United States should end that relationship? Thank you for the question. That's a good question. That's a very good question. Um, what, what can Palestinians do? Uh, firstly, they have to get their act together. It's absolutely essential that there be a Palestinian consensus on how to get out of the mess that they're in. Uh, uh, we're talking about Israel because that's the proposition before the House. You voted on something about the United States and the Israeli special relationship. But I think it's a good question anyway, because this is a key element uh, of this problem. The Palestinians, I have to say, have not just been systematically divided uh, by outside forces. They have failed to unify themselves. And they have problems not only with Israel. They have severe problems with all of the Arab governments with which they have to deal, governments which, by and large, are not democratic, governments which, by and large, do not represent their own people. And that's another problem that we're not discussing here, but which I think is well worth Thank discussing. Thank you. Hi, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, my name is Rima Hijazi. I'm a master's in Near Eastern Studies at NYU. The idea of morality has been mentioned by both sides. It's been mostly invoked by Mr. Eisenstadt. And I would like to ask you, Mr. Eisenstadt, why the principle of morality is not being applied to the case of the Palestinians. So when you discuss that justice and fairness is important, what would justice and fairness look like in the West Bank and Gaza? What can Israel do for for justice and fairness to exist there? It is the United States of America that is the major economic supplier of aid to the Palestinians. Okay? Not France, not Germany, not the UK, not Russia. It is the United States. Number two, right now, as we speak, General Dayton, a three star general, is in the process of training over 20,000 Palestinian police who are in places like Janin now able to take over security and allowing the Israeli Defense Forces to withdraw allowing checkpoints to be reduced. So the United States is supporting economically, militarily, in every other way, the effort of the Palestinians to develop their state. There was a... Yes. Ma'am, I see you at the far corner. Uh, My name is Sarah Lehman, and I write for the Jewish Press. And I have a statement and a question directed mostly towards Roger Cohn. Can you do more question than statement? Yes. Okay. In light of the fact that Israeli concessions over the years have not led to peace because the Palestinians have responded mostly with violence, and also in light of the fact that Hamas charter has not changed its call for the destruction of the Jewish state, personally, as a Jew... How would you, uh, why would you advocate a severing of the special relationship with America in favor of 
towards Arabs or Palestinians who wish for your demise? That's a question for Roger Cohn. I think I've tried to dis- describe why. Uh, certainly there have been uh, Israeli attempts, very serious Israeli attempts, to make peace. But if you look at the last 20 years, peace is going to involve an exchange of land. And what has Israel continued to do over the last 20 years? It has doubled, tripled the size of the settlements uh, in the West Bank. And this simply makes it impossible uh, to make that exchange. But when, if you, have you driven through the West Bank recently, madam? What did you see? I think you saw a fractured, divided Palestinian community, Israeli garrisons on every hill, the difficulty of families to get to the market, to get to the fields, to get to their jobs, and so on. What does this say to Palestinians about the seriousness of Israeli intent to make peace? It says these guys are not serious. And why has it that the excellent Prime Minister Syed has not come back to the table? He's not come back to the table because the Palestinians are not satisfied of the essential seriousness of the Israelis. And what is enabling the government of Prime Minister Netanyahu to take this stance? It is the unconditional nature of U.S. support under the special relationship, which is why, ladies and gentlemen, you should vote for the proposition tonight. Yeah. Commenting on Roger Cohen's last, uh, last comment, I think in an earlier comment, you actually provided the answers to why the Palestinians do not negotiate, because you painted a scenario over the next 10, 20 years, if the status quo continues, there will be one country with a Palestinian majority. Now, this fact has not been lost on many Palestinians, And support for the two-state solution has dwindled among the Palestinians because many of them say, you know, let's sit back and wait and it will be all ours because there'll be one man, one vote with a Palestinian majority. There are also commonalities. There's even commonalities between Rashid Khalidi and I because... But Isam, if that danger exists, why is Israel not being more serious about a two-state solution, which is the only way to avoid a one-state outcome? Because... The answer is because the party I voted for lost the last election. Well, there you go. <laughs> Rashid, do you want to Thank come you. in on this? Yeah, I, Rashid, I want to say something. Um, I, I, Palestinians negotiate. I'm a Palestinian-American. I spent three years negotiating. You were dealing with the Syrians. I was dealing with... Uh, with the Israelis. Yes, <laughs> yes. With and Rubenstein. how difficult is with that? With Yakim no? Rubinstein, specifically. Um, and what we, were, what we were facing then was an American commitment under the first Bush administration to do something if the uh, 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 things were done that prejudged or uh, in some way prefigured an outcome. And we came to them and we said, wait a minute, the Israelis are closing off Jerusalem. The closure of Jerusalem was just starting in this period. And settlement is continuing. They're eating the pie we're supposed to be negotiating. Palestine is negotiating with Israel without any problem for that entire decade uh, and got absolutely nowhere. Now, you may say the Oslo Accords. The Oslo Accords immiserated the Palestinians. Palestinian GDP decreased over that decade from 1990 to 2000. This is something that should have been stopped 20 years ago, Stuart, not in 2010. You can be concise, Stuart, please. Prof- Professor, I, you're a historian. I was in charge of the economic dimension of the peace process. I can tell you your figures are totally incorrect. Between 1997 and 2000, the territories grew at an average of 5%. Unemployment was down to 8% in the West Bank and 14% in Gaza. 100,000 Palestinians were coming into Israel every single day to work. 20,000 Arab 
Palestinian business people could drive in without any checkpoints. Yasser Arafat in 2000 brought the whole house of cards down on the process, refusing the offer and instigating the second intifada. We had 100,000 Palestinians coming into Israel every day to work. There you are. My name is Danielle Brown. I'm from the Argo, a student at the Argov Program of Leadership and Diplomacy, the Interdisciplinary Center Herzliya in Israel. We just arrived two days ago. My question is about U.S. public opinion, because as we saw in the last presidential debate, as in all presidential debates, the one thing that both candidates always agree on is the special relationship with Israel. And this is not a coincidence. This is because the, all studies and all polls show that the United States public supports this special relationship. Isn't it a shame to American democracy that this is not factored into this debate? Well, Roger Cohen. Thank you for that question. It makes uh, any adjustment in U.S. policy toward Israel, such as President Obama is now trying to accomplish, extremely difficult. There's a state called Florida. It's a vital state in the U.S. presidential election. It has a large Jewish community. This calculation is not lost on America's political leadership. President Obama, I understand, has been told by some uh, Jewish congressmen, if you want your health bill... Uh, step back on Israel. Indeed, that it is very hard. I have heard that reliably. The, the reality of, of the situation is that it is uh, extremely difficult to steer U.S. public opinion in any way toward any acceptance of an adjustment uh, of policy toward uh, the state of Israel. I think it should be done in the following terms. The president should explain that the adjustments he is making are in pursuit of peace and in pursuit of the long-term peace and security of the state of Israel. Policies up to now have failed. Stuart. Therefore, we should see a change. Stuart Eisenstein. I was wondering how... I was wondering how long it would take and who would raise the issue of, quote-unquote, untoward Jewish influence over U.S. foreign policy. And, Roger, you finally came to it. Now, let me just say, I've served in three administrations. I didn't say untoward. This is a dangerous dangerous canard that 2% of the U.S. population has somehow got its hand around the neck of American foreign policy. American foreign policy toward Israel is supported by a bipartisan majority because the American public recognizes that Israel and the United States share common interests and common values. But the notion that 2% of the U.S. population is driving a policy against where the public thinks is simply belied by every survey that's been made. Nobody said that. That's a straw man, Stuart. Very short short advice. Maybe you should elect the president from Alaska where there are no Jews. (laughs) All right, Witty. And that concludes round two of our debate. And here's where we are. We are about to hear brief closing statements from each of the debaters in turn. And from the live audience beforehand, we knew where you stood before the debate actually began on our motion. The U.S. should step back from its special relationship with Israel. We asked you to vote before the debate. 33% of you were for the motion, 42% were against, and 25% remain undecided. You will be asked to vote once again and pick the winner in just a few minutes from now. 
But first, we're going on to round three, closing statements, and speaking first against the motion. Stuart Eisenstadt, former ambassador to the European Union under Bill Clinton and chief domestic policy advisor to Jimmy Carter. Let's talk about concrete benefits. Israel does not just act on its own interests. It, for example, in the first Gulf War in 1991, agreed with President George H.W. Bush not to retaliate against the barrage of Saddam Hussein's Scud missiles on Tel Aviv, staying in shelters so that President Bush could keep his coalition together in the first Gulf War. Israel gives concrete benefits by supporting the U.S. in terms of anti-nuclear proliferation in the region, destroying the nuclear reactor of Saddam Hussein in Iraq in 1981, and more recently of Syria's budding nuclear facility supported by North Korea, and standing shoulder to shoulder with the U.S. on the Iranian uh, nuclear arms ambitions, and allowing the U.S. to take the lead on sanctions. Israel shares real-time intelligence. I've seen it with the U.S. on terrorism aimed at the U.S., not simply at itself, on Iran's nuclear capabilities. In, in terms of the economy itself, Israel serves as the location for every major American high-tech company developing cell phones and chips to keep America safe with passports. Stuart Eisenstadt, thank you very much. Thank you. to help our borders. Thank you, Stuart Eisenstadt. Summarizing... For the motion, the U.S. should step back from its special relationship with Israel. Roger Cohen, a columnist and former foreign correspondent and foreign editor for the New York Times. Ladies and gentlemen, if you strip away all the rhetoric of the opposing team, in the end, what are they arguing for? They are arguing for more of the same. If you think the growing hatreds, antagonism, estrangement in the area is just fine, uh, then you should vote against the resolution and not for it as we are arguing. I don't believe that's the case. I believe what's going on is unhealthy. And the United States, by stepping back, would put pressure on Israel to adjust its policies and open new avenues to the new Middle East of which President Obama has spoken. In the end, you have to put your backbone where your wishbone is. And what does America wish for? Two states, Israel and Palestine, living side by side in peace and security. And as we've described, uncritical U.S. support of Israel in in policies that undermine the possibility of two states is just a recipe for further failure. Which is why, ladies and gentlemen, you would help in this difficult adjustment by being courageous and voting for the proposition tonight. Thank you, Roger Cohen. Our motion is the U.S. should step back from its special relationship with Israel. And summarizing his position against the motion, Itamar Rabinovich, former Israeli ambassador to the United States and chief negotiator with Syria in the mid-1990s. There was an effort by our opponents to describe a unilinear Israeli undermining uh, of any effort to make peace between Israel and Palestinians to the detriment of the region of the United States. But actually... During the last 20 years and 30 years, almost 40 years of a peace process that began in 1973, what kept the peace process going was American-Israeli cooperation. Second, I think we had a problem, our debate was uh, diverted uh, tonight from a debate on the U.S.-Israeli special relationship to a debate on the Palestinian problem, a very worthy subject, but not exactly at the focus of the issue. 
There are many other issues. Iran was barely mentioned tonight. Now I dare you. You go to somebody who lives in Kuwait, to somebody who lives in Cairo, or somebody who lives in Amman, and ask him, what is uppermost in your mind? And he would say, Iran, the Iranian threat, the Iranian bomb, the Iranian expansionism. And what do you expect? I expect the United States to protect me from Iran. Thank you. Our motion is the U.S. should step back from its special relationship with Israel. Our final speaker to summarize his position for the motion, Rashid Khalidi, professor at Columbia University and former advisor to the Palestinian delegation for Arab-Israeli peace negotiations. You should vote for this proposition because it would stop the United States from enabling Israel in its worst habits of occupation and settlement, things that harm the United States, harm, of course, the Palestinians, but also harm Israel. Most importantly... You should vote for the proposition because it would help to bring peace and would be in the U.S. national interest. I've said that if you do not vote for this proposition, you are voting for the status quo. More process, no peace. Let me read a quote briefly. As long as in this territory, west of the Jordan, there is only one political entity called Israel, it is going to be either non-Jewish or non-democratic. Speaker continued, if this block of millions of Palestinians cannot vote, that will be an apartheid state. This was not some anti-Semite. This was not some Israel basher. This was the defense minister of the state of Israel, Ehud Barak, speaking on the 3rd of February in Herzliya. That is the status quo. That is where it is going. It is in, ultimately, a decision for the Israelis to take where they want to go. But we enable this. That is why you should vote for this proposition. Thank you, Rashid Khalidi. And that concludes our closing statements. And now it's time to learn which side you feel argued best. Our motion is the U.S. should step back from its special relationship with Israel. Before the debate, 33% of you were for the motion. 42% of you were against the motion. 25% were undecided. The U.S. should step back from its special relationship with Israel. After the debate, 49% agree with the motion. 47% are against. 4% undecided. The side... For the motion are our winners. Congratulations to them. Thanks to all of you. From me, John Donvan, and Intelligence Squared U.S. This Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, presented by the Rosencrantz Foundation, was held at New York University's Skirball Center for the Performing Arts. Robert Rosencrantz is chairman. Dana Wolf is the executive producer. Maureen McMurray and Rob Christensen are the radio producers. Damon Whitmore is the audio engineer. And I'm your host, John Donvan. For more information or to purchase tickets to future events, visit www.intelligencesquaredus.org. Intelligence Squared is distributed by NPR. 